0: Hello and welcome to "Here There Be Dragons," a Black Sales podcast. I'm trying to think of different like ways. to... That's
1: a really exciting way to here say there it. be
0: dragons, a Black Sales podcast. I'm that's here. Chelsea. Yes, here, here there be dragons. That's Chelsea. I'm Lewis.
1: Hi. Um. This is episode. Which one? Seven.
0: <laughs> it's episode seven of season, mm-hmm. season two.
1: Season two. And uh, here's a brief summary of what happens. Eleanor takes Abigail out of the fort and she leaves Vane to deal with the repercussions of his crew. And she also has a rare moment of vulnerability vulnerability, with her father. Billy uncovers Dufresne's disloyalty and affirms his own loyalty to Flint. Silver partners up with Max and reveals a secret that the gold is now unguarded on the beach and he needs a crew to r- retrieve it. We learn about Anne and where she comes from. Flint introduces himself to Abigail as McGraw, and he's moving forward with the plan to partner up with Peter Ash, hopefully. Hornigold wants to leave the island, and he's on his way to go when he's stopped by Dufresne, and he's told about the captain of the Scarborough and the Pardons. So.
0: Oh. woof! Action-packed. You know, I was just thinking when you said the we learn, you, when you talk about the Anne arc and you say we learn where she comes from, we don't really learn where she comes from, but right. that's part of, like, we don't learn where anybody comes from. Like, yeah. where they come from is not really a thing here. It's, like, yeah. what they went through. You know, like, we don't really know where Vane comes from, but we know that he grew up in that, like, basically well, we do as where. a slave. Well, where? That island. Yeah, but what is that island? Okay. You know, but you know what I mean? We don't sure. know. We don't know where Silver came from. We don't even know where Flint is from. We know that he experienced some sort of like nobility or like not nobility, but the nobility that comes with entering the military, I guess, and yeah. being part of the Navy. Um, but I don't know. In some in some fiction and historical fiction, it's like very important where these people are from, yeah. and that is like completely disappeared from the narrative here. It's all about like. Because what we learn about Anne is not where she's from, right? But what she's been through,
1: yeah. No, I
0: don't know, and I don't think about that a lot. Like the sense of geography in this show is so. Um... Sorry, I just went off on a whole tangent. Of that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I think it's a, I think it's interesting, especially now that the locations of England and Spain are becoming more important. Yeah, and more present in the story. Yeah. But it's not like, yes, they're from this small village called blah, blah, blah.
0: Right. Well, or, or America. Now, we're also talking about America. Yeah. Um, or, you know, the colonies. Um, yeah. it, re- it reminds me of, um, I, I'm not going to get all the specifics right, but do you remember <laughs> that, that class? Did we take this class together?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did.
0: With a professor. I forget the name of the class and I forget the focus of the class, but it was basically some form of literary and dramatic analysis um, through certain historical periods. And it was like, I took the class over several uh, quarters. I think you took it one quarter with me, right? Um, But anyway, there was an exercise in this class that I remember really thinking was interesting, which was to draw the map of the world Mm that the story is being told in. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like layout... um, Geography. It was lay out the shape of the story and the concepts and how these characters perceive the world and how the plot machinations perceive the world. Yeah. So, like if you were going to study, you know, uh, mystery plays uh, that were very biblical, there would be the the, the location of heaven and hell are, like, very important to the geography of the play. Is it right around the corner? Is it way off in the distance? Is it, like, seeping through every action in your life? Or is it something that you aspire to? Like, those are different geographic concepts for those concepts. And I feel that happening in this show. Like, yeah. the show gives you a sense of environment, but it doesn't give really give you a sense of location. Like, I have this yeah. feeling that they are surrounded by England and Spain. But the Caribbean is so far from England and Spain, yeah. you know? Um, and I think that's because you know there's Cuba, Cuba's there, and like there's the col- the British colonies and everything. Well, around Well, England them, but...
1: right now is the Scarborough.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. So, but if you were going to draw a map of the locations of Black Sails, I feel like you would make Nassau this tiny little island. In the upper left, you would have America. In the upper right, you would have England, and in the bottom, in the bottom, you'd have Spain. Yeah. And that's like not how the world is shaped, but <laughs> like, <laughs> no, yeah, that's how it feels, you know.
1: Yeah. Should we have a drawing contest?
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you can draw... Send
1: us your maps.
0: I wonder if the entire concept I just described has a name and is something that people are does. already very familiar with.
1: That was the only place I've ever encountered it was in that class. And it was actually a really difficult concept for me to grasp.
0: Oh. Why?
1: Because I just... I think I because when I read stuff, I see it so visually in my head that it, it was hard for me to conceptualize a visual Right. Because I had a visual. And it right. was very concrete.
0: It's really... It was hard to let go of literal interpretations exactly. of the world. Which wasn't, like... I don't think it was punished in the class. No, it was no, just... no.
1: It was a really interesting exercise. And it really yeah. stretches your brain to think about the world in a different way. Yeah. The world of a, of a book or a movie, even.
0: Yeah. Um, so, anyway. Sorry. Yeah.
1: So, it's <laughs> so, fun. We recommend it. If you do end up drawing something, please tell us about it. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So let's talk about Anne's world. Okay. I feel like Anne's world is really deepening for us. And we're, we'll look, I mean, we learned a lot more about her in this episode. I mean, this is the most she's ever spoken, I think, at once. So we learned that she, when she was 13, she was already married. She was in an abusive relationship. And one night she was working in the tavern and her husband was hitting her. And a man came over and sliced his throat and that was Jack. And we sort of get from the sense that from that moment on, they have been together, Mm -hmm. like inseparable. And I think it really draws from what we were talking about last episode of her being stuck in this adolescent space where she's incapable of functioning without him. She's adrift. Mm -hmm. And I love the visual representation of her... Wearing that dress that's too big for her,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that these these women women's clothes don't fit her. She's she looks really young Mm -hmm. when she's wearing that big dress, Mm -hmm. and she doesn't have her hat, and she's so vulnerable, and she's trying on this new role of like maybe being part of the brothel as a prostitute. Like she she meets that guy and. I love that she says, don't you know who I am? Oh, yeah. And he says, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're new. Like, why would I know who you are? It's just like, she's...
0: I also really like that the the guy that they throw at her is completely non-threatening. Yeah. That, like, the point of the scene is not... Like, the point of the scene is not... Um, this is an option for her. It's yeah. just, it it gives her the space to actually see if she thinks she could be comfortable mm-hmm. and in the most comfortable scenario right that could be possible just
1: like a nice guy who's she's like yeah.
0: at,
1: like i think you're pretty and yeah aren't you gonna tell me what the rules are and yeah yeah he's he's very um he's very non-threatening and which i think is also good because i was never concerned that she was going to become violent right that, it, that she wouldn't have to resort to that again.
0: Yeah, well, it was just a situation that was truly just uncomfortable, I guess, yeah. or unfamiliar. And not, like, threatening and dangerous. Yeah. It was just, like, not right. hmm
1: And it's also interesting to think back about when we saw her and Jack having sex. hmm Because she was on top. He was... His hands were tied. I mean, she was, like, in control of that of that uh, sex scene. And to see her be so uncomfortable in a dress in in a way that's just so unfamiliar. And yet she supposedly is about to do something that she's done plenty of times with Jack. She knows how to do it with Jack, but you kind of wonder if she knows how to have sex with anyone except for Max and Jack now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's really interesting. And... So kind of going back to when she's telling Max about where she's from and what she's experienced um, and talking about Jack, she says, I wonder if he didn't do that, if I would have eventually found the strength to rescue myself. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the other half of her questions or would I never have found it. Yeah. And never realized it. It's just such a, it's such a conundrum of questioning if you are actually strong enough and resilient enough to do what you need to, to change your life, or if you forever have to be grateful to somebody because they changed your life for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's serious stuff. Yeah. Especially when looked at through the filters of abuse. Yeah. And different, especially because she's so young, too. Yeah. It's like there's just a lot of questions about, like, the role that agency has played in her life. Yeah. And what doors that has opened her up to, but also closed her off to. Yeah. It's weird. It's mm-hmm. good.
1: Yeah. Well, and you also get the sense that Since she was 13, she's now played the role of a male pirate. Mm -hmm. Like, she's always had um, a sense of womanhood about her, which is something I really appreciate about the character. Like, we're always aware that she is a woman. But she has had to dress like a man and act like a man on these ships in order to get by. Like, she's had to take on this persona and this armor of maleness, which is... Interesting now to contrast with her trying to go back to femininity.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder if it's. I wonder if you could do another t- reading on that, mm-hmm. which is she's trying to be like Jack. Like, she spent the yeah. moment for, since she was 13 trying to emulate her savior yeah. and, like, do what he does. And, like, the way that you just. that she tells the story about how the man walked in and slit the man's throat. Yeah. That doesn't sound like Jack to me. That sounds yeah. like Anne.
1: I that know. sounds like
0: what something Anne would do. And yes. and I wonder like if there was an earlier Jack that was like that, or in a moment of passion was like that, and Anne has spent her whole life emulating that Jack. Yeah. And the and and that's just a different. I mean, I mean, clearly we she fits so comfortably in that skin. We've seen yeah. her wearing that skin of like the the pirate for the past two weeks, or for the fir- the first two seasons of the show. Yeah. Um. And I think, yeah, so I wonder if you turn that into, instead of being male, she's being Jack. Yeah. That trying on the dress is saying, like, was there another Anne out there that I didn't really get the chance to really ever become? Yeah. And um, that's hard. (laughs) But also I think she thinks, like, no.
1: Well, and would she maybe have turned out a little bit more like Max? Yeah. I mean, that maybe even is one of Max's old dresses. I don't know whose dress it is. But would she have felt more confident in her feminine side like Max is now? hmm I also, though, I think that at least when I picture Anne's husband, it's not someone who's very, um, like, physically intimidating. I mean, if he's a man who's abusing his 13-year-old wife, I don't think he's very intimidating. Like, mm-hmm. if that's how he needs to feel power, I, he must not feel powerful in many other aspects of his life. Mm-hmm. I, I That's how, what I think. So, in that way, I can picture Jack now seeing a young girl being abused and killing the guy who's doing it. Oh, well, yeah. Especially if it's a small tavern, if, they're just, if there's not a lot of people around, and he, I could see him doing that now. Mm-hmm. But it is a little, it's definitely more the Anne that we've seen
0: mm-hmm. than the
1: Jack that we've seen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I love that point. Um, great. Well,
0: well, do you want to also mention the hat?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Like, after having tried on the dress and enough fitting, to have a moment about the hat is so good.
1: Oh, yeah. So, um, one of the brothel employees is burning all of Anne's bloody clothes, and Max quickly steps in and saves Anne's hat at the last minute and says, this isn't dirty. Mm-hmm. Because that is her signature look. <laughs> it's it's the thing that defines her the most.
0: Right. And I also like that it's not like... There's at no point is anybody saying Anne shouldn't be a pirate. Like, yeah. there's no voice on the show. It's not Max. It's not Jack. It's not even any of the people who hate Anne that mm-hmm. say she's not cut out for piratedom. The hat doesn't fit her. She doesn't deserve it somehow. Yeah. It's just that... In this brief moment, I guess, of, like, anxiety and panic, mm-hmm. she tries to dress on. Yeah. Um, but saving the hat for saying, like, this is still Anne. This is still quintessentially her. Yeah. Is cool.
1: Yeah. And then at the towards the end of the episode, we get kind of a, a glimmer of hope for Anne when Max says, I'm looking to expand my business and I need a network of spies. So I need someone I trust and someone who knows the C's. And that's clearly Anne. So, this sort of opens up a new avenue for her that's not necessarily being a pirate, not necessarily working in the brothel. It's sort of a new, undefined role that Anne can make totally her own.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is cool. That's cool. So, that's Anne.
1: So, that's Anne. Should we move to our other lady friend?
0: <sighs> Eleanor. Yeah. Or Max? Eleanor. Okay. <laughs> Or Adele.
1: Oh, I love Adele. Yeah. Let's have a quick moment of appreciation for Adele. Okay. She is such a good friend. Yes. She cares about Max so much, but she still listens to her. And when Max says, like, Anne is safe here. Because when I was on that beach, nobody did anything Mm -hmm. except for her. Mm -hmm. And, oh, another side note. One of the things I love about this show is that it doesn't forget anything that happens. Mm -hmm. We will never forget that Max was on that beach Mm -hmm. in season one. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And we will never forget that Anne is the one who rescued her.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I love that. Um, But back to Adele. After Max says everybody needs to back off because she is safe here, Adele then goes in and rescues Anne from that awkward situation with the guy and sort of takes over the room and says, just go, I'll take care of this. And she does a moment of kindness for Anne, someone who she's really scared of because Max told her to be nice. Yes. She's just the best. She's great. If only we could all have a friend like Adele.
0: Okay, let's go to our other lady friend that you were talking about, Miranda. Yay! No, I'm just joking about Miranda. I'm just pointing out that when you say... Should we move on to our other lady friend? We don't just have two options.
1: I know. (laughs) It's um, shocking to (laughs) my system. (laughs) Um, um, Let's talk about Eleanor.
0: Okay, yes, Eleanor.
1: So, she breaks Vane's heart. Yeah. I mean, they're done.
0: Yes. I mean, you were just saying, like, we're never going to forget yeah. Things that happen in the show. This feels like one of those moments that, and also, uh, what was uh, a moment just popped into my head that is also echoed through. Oh, in season or episode two of the show, mm-hmm. when Eleanor betrays Max. Yeah, that's a moment that is reverberated forever. Yeah, um, you f- I, you feel the beats of that scene here too.
1: Yes, and absolutely. and
0: Vane says it. Yeah. Vane says, "Is there no? What does he say? There's is there nobody you would betray?
1: Yeah, or no one you wouldn't betray? Right. Yeah." Oh, man, Eleanor, and not only is she betraying his trust, but he sort of says it like, they're going to try to kill me.
0: Yeah, he says, you're leaving me to die.
1: The crew is going to murder me. Yeah. (laughs) She's making the choice to condemn him once again. Mm -hmm. Like, she already took away his crew and his boat once and shamed him in front of The entire island. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And now, after they've built this trust back up again, she's doing this. It's
0: brutal. It's brutal.
1: But we also completely understand why she's doing it.
0: Yeah. Ish. I mean, (laughs) I gotta say, ish. I mean, Mm -hmm. we've already, like, hashed this out over several (laughs) episodes. But, like, this plot is harebrained.
1: Yeah. Like, the yeah. Abigail
0: plan is still just like five degrees removed from the ultimate goal of safety for Nassau. It's still like, if we bring her to him and he's a pirate hunter, but yeah. he likes Flint, so maybe they'll talk and they'll arrange this thing that'll get protection from an entire empire. Yeah. Like, it's still not perfect. And, like, I just can't blame Vane either for saying, yeah. You're crazy. Yeah. At least the gold was real. At least we've seen the gold with our own eyes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This plan is still a little crazy to me.
1: Yeah, it is. And that's, I think, emphasized again when Abigail uh, hears the name Captain Flint. Yeah. And she's almost like, "Um, I think I'd rather stay here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
1: Like, he is known as one of the most fearsome pirates Mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, the plan is not looking good. But we do get a really nice moment between Flint and Eleanor when she comes back um, and has delivered Abigail. And they just get a moment of hope, which is really nice. But it's also a moment for Eleanor to say, this is another sacrifice I've made. You better make this work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's a. I mean, it's a rehash of the beat from the end of season one where yeah. he's about to go get the gold. Yeah. It's kind of crazy that, like, it's almost exactly the same beat and they're both in such good moods. Yeah. Because the last time that they had this beat, it did not end well.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I just... But I always think about, like, what would I do if I was in Eleanor's position? And I feel like she's always stuck between a rock and a hard place.
0: She is, but... She is, she she's, yeah. I mean, one of the fun things about Black Sails is that it gives us different examples of leadership yeah. and ways to navigate difficult decisions like that. And for some reason, I mean, we've said this before, the show presents us with Flint, who is like a vicious dictator in the way that he manages his crew and gets what he wants. Mm-hmm. And Eleanor... But
1: he's also inspiring.
0: He's also inspiring. Eleanor is also vicious
1: yeah
0: and but not so inspiring yeah and she she seems to change allegiances at the drop of a hat yeah she she comes across that way um and it's just i don't know i mean like i guess she and flint are in completely different situations i suppose mm-hmm. but um i don't know it's weird because yeah, they're both leading with an iron fist in some yeah. ways. They're both making very extreme decisions and doing extreme things to get their way. Like you can you can never forget that she had those people assassinated for Anne. Yep. Um like a mafia boss. Yeah. Um
1: This feels know. like her Mr. Gates moment. In what way? Like her moment of desperation where she, the mission has to go on because if it doesn't like who who is she? What is she? What is she even doing anymore if there's not the mission to save Nassau? So in that moment of panic and reckoning, Plint had to kill Gates Yeah. to keep the mission going. Yeah. This feels like that moment for her. Yeah. She has to kill Vane, quote unquote kill Vane, to keep the mission going.
0: Mm-hmm. It's really dramatic and good.
1: <sighs> yeah. And then she also gets a moment with her dad.
0: Oh, uh. You think it's nice.
1: I do think it's nice. I do. Because it's... I still don't trust him, and I still think he might be doing it all just to manipulate her. But from her perspective, to finally hear him say, I'm proud of you, and to put his arm around her and comfort her is incredible.
0: That scene was so slow. (laughs) (laughs) His arm was so slow.
1: (laughs) It was very slow. But it was just... It made me wonder if it's the first time they've ever had a moment like that. And I think it is.
0: Yes, I believe that.
1: Because she's ever gotten any sort of validation or warmth even Mm -hmm. from her dad. Mm -hmm. So it's nice in that sense, but I also think that he could just be doing it all because he's desperate and he has nowhere else to turn.
0: Yeah, which he's proven... Yeah. To be not above that in the past.
1: Yeah. Don't like him.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: this is strong dislike on my part. Um,
0: um, it's it's kind of a shame that we... Or it's not a shame, but uh, from what we see of Abigail, I really like her too. Oh, yeah. Um, you can imagine her becoming uh, a bigger voice in the show, I guess. Just because, yeah. you know, when she's... She, she is a... Um, She's a MacGuffin. Like, she was the first right. thing we saw at the beginning of season two as, like, the game change yeah. uh, piece that was going to enter the game. Um, and you could easily just see her being sort of like a panicky person who was, yeah. like, being passed around from pirate to pirate. Um, but I like, I like her character and I like the way she talks. Yeah. I don't know. I, she's good.
1: Well, and it's nice to have a, an outside perspective again. Yeah. On all the pirates. Yeah. Like we were talking about in the first season how Billy was sort of that for us, that he felt a little new to all the pirate stuff and all the crew stuff. And and she feels like that now where all she knows are the reputations. Right. And she knows Miranda a little bit from back in the day. But yeah, it's just cool to see everybody anew through her eyes.
0: Yeah. And I like that. Um, yeah. She's yeah. good. She is good. Um, do you want to talk about Billy? Let's talk about Billy.
1: We have to talk. <laughs> we have to, about to talk about Billy. <laughs> so we finally sort of get a resolution to the did did Flint or did he not?
0: Do we get a resolution? I think we untie a thing that we thought was resolved.
1: Mm, this feels like a resolution to me. How? It feels like Billy being like, "I'm done with it. I'm over it. I'm moving on." which sort of gives Flint permission to as well.
0: Um, Okay, so you're specifically talking about the the conversation in the moment about, did you throw me into the water? Yeah. Or did I fall? Yeah. And in that conversation, Billy seems to say, I'm not 100% sure what happened, and I don't think you are either, but I don't care. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's a good scene. But it also, in the brief moment that he says, I don't think you know either, and there's a flash of something in Flint's face... Oh, what a good actor. But like in in for half a second you can see a little doubt also yeah. on his face that for me I was like, "Oh my god." Yeah. What did happen? Um I mean, I think that Flint let him go. I think so too. But I also think that Flint likes him.
1: Yeah. And regrets I'm, it. Yes. And I think it's easier to tell yourself, "No, I didn't let go. I tried."
0: Or if not that not like I tried, but like was that really me who let him go, or yeah. was that someone who I've been letting? Who was that the same guy who killed Gates? Yeah. And like, which one was I, and when? What really happened? Like yeah. in me, what happened? Yeah. Which is something that like I didn't think we were we're gonna revisit, you know? Yeah. The um. show
1: never forgets.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, it it has it gives us resolution to the question to I, I feel like this feels like. The entire plot between him and Dufresne yeah. and the setting up of it and the conclusion of it feels like the final act of Billy's growth. Yeah. Like w- when we saw Billy in season one, he was, he had a particular worldview and we saw him undergo a change and like exposure to new forces and things that he had to grapple with. And then he went off the show. Yeah. And then since he's been back, we've sort of had a reason to ask ourselves, what's up with Billy? Yeah. How has this changed him? And now we know how it's changed him. Yeah. Um, and it's, like, a little bit of... It's, like, it's cool because it has changed him, mm-hmm. but it's changed him in a way that is fundamentally true to who his character was in season one. Yes. The line, none of us are safe until all of us are safe, yep. is, like, exactly to show you how a young, idealistic person gets radicalized. <laughs> 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 you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, also, I mean, we can just talk literally about the plot. It's, like, so good. I mean, I like, the, the twist and to like, see that get thrown back in Dufresne's face. To have Dufresne think that he's going to start plotting another mutiny and this is my chance to really get back at Flint and then yeah. for Billy to sort of to tease out, like, you would really abandon your oath like that. Yeah. Um, and then to have, like, a great grandstanding moment where Billy sort of lays bare, like, this is how I view the world now and because this yeah. is how the world is. Yeah. And, um...
1: This is a moment, though, where I really wish that we had the actor from season one
0: oh, still yeah. playing Dufresne. Yeah.
1: Because as soon as this new... And this new actor is great. I, I like him, too. But as soon as he takes over, Dufresne has, like, a lot more of um, a sinister, calculating, like, malicious streak to him. Yeah. That season one Dufresne just did not have.
0: I feel like if we had the original actor in this role, it would be easier to read that Dufresne and Billy are two sides of a coin. Yes. That they are two ends of arcs that began in season one that could have gone the same way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that this Dufresne is saying, well, you know, I I think that this place is I think everyone's going to die here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think this is a disaster. I should save who I can save. And we can, we have a chance to get out. But this Dufresne feels a little more selfish. I think that's yeah. what it is.
0: Well, he seems a little bit more vindictive to me. Yeah. Like he's, like the lesson, or not the the lesson, but the worldview that I feel like you could track for Dufresne from season one to where he is now is is a little bit every man for themselves. or yeah. like, you know,
1: you're going to get thrown into the battle and you're going to have to bite some throats.
0: Yeah. And like, once I've bitten a throat, then why can't I be in charge? Yeah. You know, it's so, sort of, why are we ca- like bending to the will of this guy who doesn't tell us his entire plan and throws us to the wolves? Yeah. Um, that it's like, we should be living in a quote unquote more fair arrangement Yeah, where we all just like, we're all the masters of our own fate. Yeah. And, and then and then we know Billy's worldview has now become the opposite. It's yeah. like I all, I care about the men and I care about them so much that I will protect them. Yeah, in a way that Dufresne hasn't really seen. But but yeah, that was the original Dufresne, and this Dufresne feels a little bit more like I need to get Flint. Yes. Um. I mean, it's not bad. It's still good and dramatic.
1: No. Yeah. I just had a moment of like longing.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) For the original Dufresne. Yeah. The OG Dufresne.
0: Um, And then, I mean, and and again, Billy says, literally, I believe the war is coming that Flint was talking about, and I think that we need men like Flint to lead us through it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it also harkens back to the conversation that they had in season one, in the boat, when Flint said, they are coming, and they see us as monsters. Yeah. And Billy... When he's talking about the torture, it's basically like, I've now experienced that firsthand. Yeah. We are animals to them.
0: Yeah.
1: We're not humans. Yeah. And that is unforgivable.
0: Mm-hmm. I also think about how I think when Billy says that to Flint, mm-hmm. Flint is a little scared by it for some reason. hmm Like, maybe scared is not the right word, but Flint's now got... Flint's now got two guys that he thinks are in the ring for him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Silver and Billy. Yeah. And it's just kind of crazy from Flint's perspective that Silver Silver will say to his face, I'm here because I believe that you can get me gold. Yeah. And Billy is here because he says, I'm here because I, I hate you. Or he does I don't hate you, but like...
1: I know what you can do.
0: Yes. Um, but I'm here because I think you need to lead us in a war. Yeah. It's like, it's just, I mean, even though that's what Flint threw in his face at the beginning of season one, it's just, oh, it's so good to have yeah. like this cult of personality around this one feared captain who's off on his own mission. And we have these two men who want him to be captain. Yeah. For kind of crazy different reasons. Yeah. It's just, oof.
1: Well, and I think that Billy is also starting to fall into the trap of believing in Flint.
0: Yeah. You know, I could do with a little bit more speechifying on why that is. Like, I know yeah. why it is. I think, like, with if Billy, if it's as simple as Billy's, like, well, I know Flint will do what needs to get done. Yeah. This is a this is a war of us versus them, and they are evil because they of their torture and the way they view us. <laughs> and I, and I've seen that Flint is also vicious and will do the thing that is in the best interest of all the men. I guess. Yeah. Um, but I want to hear him say, "Does he think that Flint is?" a genius? Does he think that Flint is fearless? Does he think that everybody else fears Flint? Like, I I I want to hear specifically why he would stick by him.
1: I think it's that no one else is talking about it.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Nobody else seems to be even aware that England is coming. And to Billy, it's so obvious and, because obviously he's been captured and tortured by England, but Flint told him that England was coming even before that happened. Yeah. And no one else was saying anything. Yeah. So I think it's that. I think it's that no no one else is talking about it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I used the word radicalization earlier about him, but like, it's kind of crazy to think about it in those terms, Mm -hmm. that it's just someone goes through an experience like that and they're just drawn immediately to the person who told them, yeah, no, they're evil. Yeah. I told you that. Yeah. And I, I'm the only one who recognizes it and is going to do something about it.
1: Yeah. Ooh.
0: It's scary. <laughs> it is
1: scary. Um, So should we talk about Silver?
0: Oh, yeah, let's talk about Silver.
1: He's doing his own thing.
0: Yeah, I guess what I just said about the dichotomy of Billy and Silver only really applies to Silver from, like, an episode or two ago.
1: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> silver has changed it up. Yeah. I feel like this is the first time... That we're seeing Silver not be reactionary, but being proactive with a plan.
0: Yeah, which is really nice because, yeah. to be frank, when he says, I'm sticking by you because you're my best bet to get the gold, yeah, was compelling, I think. But not really all that active, especially for as yeah. we've seen how powerful Silver can be when he's being active. Yeah. Like, the most electric parts of the show for me were those first two episodes of season two where Flint and Silver had to ingratiate themselves with the crew. Silver had a great short-term goal and he hatched a plan to do it. Yeah. So it's great to see him hatching plans.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. And it's great to see him talk to the crew again. Yeah. That moment where he turns around to all of them and he just has them in the palm of his hand. Yeah. It's so easy for him to convince them. And it's nice that in the editing we get to see him start the speech to the men yeah. and see him, like, warm up the crowd and get them all on his side. But we don't actually hear what he says yeah. to convince them. We can just sort of have faith that he did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think it's interesting, though, that I don't, I don't think that Silver is completely out of Flint's control. Oh. Because two things. Because when they're talking... And Silver is basically like, I want the gold or I'm, I'm out, I'm done. Flint is able to talk him into staying on the crew. Mm-hmm. Because he says, where else are you going to wake up in the morning and matter?
0: But do you think that that was actually him being convinced? Or is he still playing some sort of long game?
1: I don't know why he would need to stay on Flint's crew. Other-
0: I don't either. I don't either. But I think we still have not been given emotional access to silver yeah. in a way to know exactly what effect that line on had on him. Mm-hmm. I, I, I I, don't feel, I mean, we've seen, when we've talked about across the course of season two, multiple times that he has forgotten that he's a part of the crew and the world has reminded us that mm-hmm. he, they see him as part of the crew and that he is technically part of it. So we've se- we, we can track that and we can track that. Then Flint says that to him directly mm-hmm. But at no point do I know how really how that makes Silver feel. I don't know if he's proud of that thing, If that. I don't know if he seeks this belonging. I don't know if he even likes being liked in yeah. the way that he's speechifying everybody. Like, I actually don't know. I think he likes having power. Yeah. But I don't know if he likes the emotional attachment of the men, you know?
1: I think that it is sort of a deeply human thing to want to matter. I think it's sort of common to everyone. You, you want to either matter to somebody or you want to matter because of something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think that's kind of a universal appeal that Flint threw out, where else are you going to wake up and matter? So I, I do think that that meant something to Silver and that convinced him in some way to stick around. Now, of course, it could just be very short-term of why why I break up now. and
0: I think that's what it is. I think it's a practical, yeah. like, why throw away a thing that's working? Yeah. Like, I do have power here. Um, you know, we learned about his plot with the gold specifically later on, but he can let that play out while he's still on Flint's crew. Yeah. Um, I mean, because the other thing is that, like, What Flint's doing is very emotional, but it's also manipulation. Yes. And we know that Silver is a master of manipulation. Yeah. It doesn't totally ring true to me that he does not recognize when he's being manipulated. Right, but I
1: think he might like that. Like, I think he might also appreciate that someone cares enough to try to manipulate him.
0: Yeah, okay. I think we're in disagreement on this. Okay. Okay.
1: (laughs) That's fair. Um, We do sort of get a comment, though, from Dufresne that when those two work together, nothing can stop them.
0: Yeah, which is like... Duh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which we may see in the future. Yeah. Um, The other thing I was going to point out is when Silver's talking to Max, he's telling her about seeing the two crewmen come back from their watch of the gold. And he says to her that he had a moment of thinking, did Flint somehow do this? Yeah. Did he somehow reach out a hand and scoop up all that gold on that beach and take it away? Yeah. Which is heading into that dangerous territory of believing in Flint. Yeah. Believing that he has some kind of power. It's just a hint of it, but it's there.
0: Well, when you say some kind of power, you don't mean literally, like, ghost power. You no, mean I don't like, mean literally ghost power. <laughs> yeah. um, interesting. I mean, I think that that's evidence that he doesn't trust Flint. That that would be the first thought to enter his mind, to say, like, we yeah. are not emotional, we're not friends, this is a temporary alliance. Because we have the same goal. Yeah. And the second that those men show up, his first paranoia is, Flint's betrayed me. Or yeah. Flint has. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think that's more remarkable than the idea that he believes Flint can move, can can move the pieces like that so easily. That his first thought isn't, oh no, Spain took the gold and took it away. Yeah. It was Flint took the gold and took it away. Yeah. He just doesn't trust Flint.
1: Yeah. But somehow thinks he's powerful enough to have hatched a scheme behind his back to somehow get that gold off the beach again.
0: Well, he... Yeah. And he also believes that that's secretly what Flint wants. Yeah. He's not just paranoid that Flint will betray him, he's paranoid that Flint doesn't actually want the gold. Yeah. Which is, like, not a thing that's not unwarranted. Yeah. Clearly, Silver and Flint want the gold for very, very different reasons. Yes. Cool. Cool.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel like that's it. Okay. Are we ready for tidbits?
0: Good tidbits. Um, I like the little asides on voting. And they vote because it feels good. Yeah. Um, it's especially, uh, powerful. And that was in the same conversation where Flint said, the thing that will decide this vote hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Um, it's funny because... you know, the show is about these societies and how they function and all those things. But in this episode, it feels like a meaningless vote. Yeah. It absolutely feels like it's just it's just a charade. Yeah. Um, and that the real things that are actually driving action in the world are happening in every other scene, except for the one that's happening on the yeah. beach.
1: Like this back and forth of talking and getting the votes is just like to pass the time.
0: Yeah. And if we didn't give them the opportunity to vote, they yeah. would be going out there and ruining everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love seeing Max be a good boss.
0: Yeah. A good businesswoman, too.
1: Yeah. That's fun.
0: Jack's not in this episode, right?
1: Um, no. We don't see him. Cool. He's off with Featherstone. Um. Oh, I wrote down that, um, that Anne needs a family. Hmm. And with Jack gone, Max is sort of stepping into the role of caretaker. And family member.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: I also like the moment where um, Eleanor accepts that Vayne is now her enemy. Mm. I feel like we see it in her eyes. Yeah. Where she's like, yeah, I accept those terms. Yeah. Did I say, did I mention the moment that Max is the word partner to Anne? I think you did. And her eyes just light up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's all I got. Oh, (laughs) I love at the end where um, Hornigold is about to leave and Dufresne comes up. And Hornigold is basically like, well, I didn't like Nesso anyways. (laughs) 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 No, I'm leaving because it's like, it sucks here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ugh, Hornigold. Ugh, Hornigold.
1: Um all right okay well we've been a little quiet on twitter lately my apologies but
0: yeah get on that
1: we're on there i promise i'll be more active soon um at there be sales it's our twitter handle and you can also rate and review us on the itunes store and um yeah
0: yeah
1: yeah do it because it feels good
0: (laughs) That's good, (laughs) yeah, okay, good, okay, bye. bye!